0: Hilarious. While well, I get this thing set up, and make it part of the. Oh, we're live. Okay, we are live. <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> I uh, I told producer wife to go live a second too early, but now I think I'm prepared now. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's Monday, 102 Central. I hope you had an amazing weekend. Today, I am joined by Matthew. Matthew has been uh, sharing a ton of awesome information uh, about his uh, visit and in investor day, but he's somebody also that has been in the Tesla story for quite a while. So Matthew, thank, thank you so much for joining me today. How you doing, my friend?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here and chat with your audience. Yeah, man.
0: I'm so happy to see you. We got producer wife in the private chat. Can't say hit us live and then change your mind. I agree. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) I was not prepared mentally. Okay, uh, so what we'll do with uh, with today's video. So for those that are not aware, Matthew was one of the very few uh, lucky retail folks that made it into Investor Day. He's already shared uh, quite a bit of information around the Cybertruck and other things as well that he learned. But for today's video, I really want to explore um, more things that maybe hasn't hasn't surfaced. We'll turn into a conversation. Uh, and before we even do that, Matthew, maybe tell us a little bit about you, how long you've been in the Tesla story, what got you into it, and then we'll we'll go from there.
1: Yes, yeah, so I've been a you know longtime fan uh, of Elon, and you know followed his his story and uh, you know the acquisition of by PayPal and um, the founding of Tesla. I was always big into uh, sustainability, and so when the Tesla Roadster was being designed, I started following it, and uh, I bought my first Model S. You know pretty early on, I got a Model S P eighty five, um, and and loved the car, and um, you know my wife loved it, and we kept we kept adding Teslas and. Owned a bunch of Teslas over the years. I think uh, thirteen uh, total, um, but I didn't invest until <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just thirteen. Um, I didn't invest until May of 2019. So you know, I'd, I'd always followed it, but I was more of like a real estate investor, and I had a lot of private investments in, in startups, and um, you know, investments in a couple of the big tech companies. But uh, yeah, in May of 2019, you know, when the stock was down to. At the time, I think it's like 195 dollars a share, you know, pre pre split, um, and, and then I, I just I just thought it just makes too much too much sense um, at at these values. So I started investing pretty heavily, and you know, by the end of that year, I was uh, you know close to all in um, on Tesla, and have been a huge proponent of the stock and the vehicles. I basically got everyone in my extended family to <laughs> to buy both the stock and and the vehicles, and just nice. you know really love them and try to be an evangelist for the brand as much as I can. That's awesome, man. What, what, uh, 13 Teslas, like what, what was such a, like at that, you
0: know, and the P85 was one of the OG, I think that was the original performance, uh, model S that they had. Right. What, uh, what was the differentiator between that and what kind of other cars did you own? And that really drew you to the Tesla.
1: Yes, yeah, so I um, before Tesla, I uh, had several 911s. So I'm, you know, big car guy. I've owned a lot of Love cool it. cars over the years. You know, you know the performance versions of you know Audis, BMWs. Um, you know, in high school I had a RX7, and in, in college I had uh, you yes. know second generation. Uh, that was RX, my Gran Turismo car, RX7. the RX7. Yeah. Dude, I was obsessed with that car. God, <laughs> yeah, I the the FD RX7 is still probably the most beautiful car uh, oh, ever yeah. made. Um, so I, I always liked performance cars, and I, lo- I loved Porsche. Um, I was never really a fan of, you know, Ferraris or Lamborghinis or anything like that. I just love Porsches. Um, and when I first started getting into Teslas, I still had, you know, an older Porsche um, that, I, that I loved having, but I ended up just never, ever driving it. And, you know, when I got the the Tesla, my wife had a Land Rover at the time, and she essentially just kind of took my car, <laughs> you know, whenever <laughs> we could. So um, when the P85 Plus came out, we got one of those, uh, then, then the P85D and Um, so on and you know model threes model x's and it just kind of uh, snowballed and so essentially always had oh each of us uh you know had a tesla as our daily driver um and then i do a lot of kind of truck stuff so had a also would have a truck as well for for when it was needed nice yeah you've you've owned multiple f-150s right you've had like four or six of them yeah, yeah, I'm a huge, huge F-150 fan. Um, you know, Ford fan in general. I've had yeah you know, six F-150s, four, uh, four Raptors. I've worked for a Ford dealer from you know my senior year of college all through, our senior of high school all through college. So you know, just really big F-150 fan. Um, I kind of mentioned in my uh, video with Herbert that you know once you have one truck, one brand of truck, whether it's Ford or DOT or Ram or, or you know Chevy or Toyota you know most people just stick to that brand they don't they don't switch around a lot and that was my case you know i i just really like the f-150 kept kept getting a you know another one every every year or two and um yeah now now i can't wait for the the cyber truck to re- replace that dude there's so much there too like
0: and and you had a great conversation with herbert around uh the cyber truck as well if if uh if any of you guys haven't watched that yet, do make sure you go check out uh, Herbert's channel. Also, make sure you check out Matthew's channel. I have that linked in the description below. Lots of awesome information about the Cybertruck. And then Herbert also discussed that. I I, I might still ask you questions anyway, because I'm just so fascinated by your background. Sure. You've, you know, you're a huge truck guy. You know, you obviously have have bought trucks and you're somebody who really likes Ford's products, but then you also kind of are a huge Cybertruck fan. You saw it in person. So it's just, there's so much there to, to pick your brain on. But let me... um. Let me start sort of with the investor day. Uh, some of the things that perhaps uh, many of us haven't heard yet, or uh, you know, some of the conversations that you've had with Tom Zhu and and the rest of the management. So, like I mentioned before, you were one of the very few uh, retail folks that uh, had access to actually go in there and talk to executives and see investor day up front, um, and, and you've shared some of your knowledge already. Uh, we'll start with your, I guess, your conversation with Tom. What was your first sort of takeaway? And those that are not familiar, Tom Zhu is, is the newly, uh, I guess, promoted, we can say he's sort of in charge of, uh, I guess, ramping up and, um, building out new factories and in charge of automotive production, but kind of tell us your first impressions of Tom. Um, yeah. What was your takeaway when you first got a chance to talk to him and you're muted, by the way.
1: Oh, (laughs) Sorry, pardon me. Um, yeah, I'd heard about Tom and you know seen some of his interviews. Uh, you know, uh, Emmett Peppers and Matt Smith had a great conversation um, with one of his previous um, direct reports at Tesla, and so you know I was excited to to potentially meet him and, and chat with him at an investor day. So when the the live stream um, you know of the actual presentation ended, we went we were upstairs and everyone went downstairs into the kind of the main foyer you know entrance, um, and there's going to be an executive meet and greet. And so you know, everyone was walking down, including you know, everyone you saw on stage. We we're, were all going down at the same time. So a lot of executives were chatting with, uh, chatting with the investors, you know, on their way downstairs. And when we got downstairs, you know, people kind of crowded around the the better known um, Tesla execs, like you know, Drew and Lars and Franz. They all had like huge groups um, surrounding them. And I saw Tom, and there's only like a couple of people chatting with him at the time. And I said, "Oh, this is great." So I went up to Tom and eventually there was maybe six or eight of us there and we probably chatted for close to half an hour i mean we're just there for we we asked every single question um we wanted and he's he didn't try and end the conversation early like he he kept on asking us any more questions any more questions and eventually you know the group of six or eight of us people started to leave because you know we were there for so long it was like time to go (laughs) (laughs) you know so he was just so generous with his time um so yeah, the the first things you notice one is um his communication style is very direct. You know, when you answer him ask him a question, he answers instantly. Like as soon as you finish the last word of your sentence, he starts speaking. He doesn't need to, you know, say, um, hmm, or you know, he just goes straight into the answer. Uh he he's he he simplifies things as, as much as possible. His his English is, you know, it's better than mine. It's absolutely um, <laughs> you know, perfect. And he knows, he knows everything off the top of his head. So he's telling us different numbers. Um, He made it pretty clear to us that, you you know, not only is in charge of the, you know, US manufacturing, but like Giga Berlin, and Giga Shanghai, and, you know, Giga Nueva Leon, all, all essentially will report directly up to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, and yeah, it was just incredible, you know, all the, uh, all the questions you kind of, you knew if, if you had asked Elon during the investor presentation, he wouldn't have answered, or he would have said, you know, this isn't really the time. Um, you know, Tom just answered them, uh, directly, you know, with us. And then the next day he had that interview with the the media in Mexico and a similar thing. He just answered a ton of questions that weren't really said at investor day. Um, that maybe a lot of the, uh, you know, Wall Street would have liked to see answer.
0: Yeah. One of the feedbacks that I, that I heard from, uh, I think it was somebody speaking with Amy. Amy was another uh, another one of the ones, I believe, that made it into the investor day, if, if I remember correctly. Uh, she's a longtime investor. I believe she's an IPO yep. investor in Tesla. Um, it seemed like retail was asking questions to the executive team that none of the institutionals were asking, either because they were afraid to ask or they didn't know they could ask those questions. Did you experience the similar level of like retail just, just actually being the ones asking the questions that matter? <laughs> what was your experience? <laughs>
1: Yeah. So so at the actual, maybe I'll take one step back, but at, at the actual yeah. event, there's about 50 of us retail investors, and there was, I think, around 225 um institutional investors. And so all the institutional investors were wearing suits, all the retail investors were wearing like t-shirts and jeans. And you know, Amy was wearing a Amy was wearing a dress. Pardon me. <laughs> um and so it was very clear when you looked in the room who was retail and who was not. We also had you know, with our badges, we had um, like a red, red lanyard on our badge. Whereas the institutional, I think they had like black lanyard. So it was very clear who, who you know, who was retail and who wasn't. And mm-hmm. so when the session ended, when the, when the live or when the live stream was ending, um, the primary presentation, there was a Q&A, um, uh, you know, Martin ran the Q&A and he only chose institutional investors to ask questions. And he also knew each individual in, um, each institutional investor. So it wasn't like, you know, you in the, you know, the blue suit, <laughs> you know, you need like, was calling on people directly to ask all of the institutional investors were sitting at the front. The 50 retail investors were mostly in the middle and back and kind of spread out. I, um, I, I had arrived late, you know, my, I was on the last tour group and the six people on my tour group, we, we kind of arrived late. So all the seats were essentially, um, taken. So there's an employee that actually the, the U S you know, VP of sales, uh, the event planner and, um, shout out to Anne. She probably has the most stressful job at Tesla. Uh, she ran the event. She like asked him to get up and move so I could like have his seat. So it was institutional investors at the front retail investors, kind of in the middle in the back with employees. So I was surrounded by employees. So when it came to the, you know, you know, the live stream Q and a, it was only institutional investors, you know, they, I, they're, questions they were asking probably weren't the most interesting to a lot of retail investors. But then after, when we went downstairs, um, you know, institutional investors were, were asking questions that retail kind of understand Tesla will figure out, you know, qu- questions like about, you know, long-term supply chain things where, you know, you just know the market has like a way execution of related, I people. guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, the questions were, were quite a bit different. You know, it, it reminded me of, Um, it was, I remember a few years ago, you know, Elon was on an earnings call and was getting really bored with the institutional questions. And he was like, let's go to YouTube. And I think Gally asked like a half dozen questions or something. It kind of reminded me of that, of like the retail were asking questions, I guess that, you know, us retail investors would find a a whole lot more interesting.
0: Yeah. So, so what were some of the questions you asked Tom and what, what were some of the answers? So maybe we'll start with, uh, one that around, I think, I mean, you tell me. Like, what was one of the one of the questions that stick out to to, to your mind, and, and the answer that you got, and we'll turn it into a conversation from there.
1: Yeah. So, we, so primarily, um, you know, we were asking about the next gen uh, platform. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was that was really interesting to us. So, you know, he cleared up a lot of you know a lot of our questions. So, number one was, you know, it's going to be built in Nuevo Leon first. The way um and we all we we learned a lot about the construction of that factory and the design of the that factory. So if you look Tom's history, Tom started with China, uh, with Tesla China in 2014 and he was in charge of building out the supercharger network in China. So he was a construction guy. Later he was the one who oversaw the construction of the the Giga Shanghai uh, factory. So he he taught us a lot about that. He said, you know, the all of Tesla's architecture and design and construction for their buildings is done in-house. And so we knew it was the design and architecture was done in-house, but we didn't really know that the actual construction company is a company that's a subsidiary uh, of Tesla. So that was really intriguing to learn. So he told us that the next-gen platform, the vehicle or vehicles, we think it's you know two vehicles, was designed first. Then they designed the Nueva Leon factory around that vehicle. So if you think about Austin the um you know the model Y and the Cybertruck was designed first and then Austin was built to build those two vehicles um same thing for Nuevo Leon so the the one or two next gen uh platform vehicles they were designed the factories built around them so every you know everything from the the location the materials the size the potential distribution to you know Latin America or North America or Europe you know it's all all thought out in that plan Um, we also, you know, we also thought the next gen platform would be built in all of the gigas and it likely will eventually, but it's going to be built and perfected in Nuevo Leon. And then Tom said, we'll we'll copy and paste it everywhere else. So obviously if they started building it in, you know, Austin or or Berlin, it would be, it would be released sooner, but they want to get it right kind of from the start. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he, he kind of, had some resentful feelings about how things went in Berlin. You know, Berlin was supposed to be built before, um, Freem- or before Austin, uh, Berlin was supposed to figure out the, the structural pack and the front and rear castings of the model Y, but because it was delayed, they had to figure those things out in two locations at the same time. Um, which is why it took both of those factories longer to ramp up than, than Shanghai. Cause Shanghai essentially took what was being done in Fremont and copy and pasted it, uh, in Shanghai, mm. okay.
0: Has was he uh, in any way involved with Berlin when it was ramping up, or did he? Is this sort of with this new position he's now in charge of Berlin? How 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 should we think about that?
1: So I so I don't know about the actual construction uh, of Berlin. I mean, I would be surprised if he wasn't involved. You know, <laughs> at least a, a little bit. But mm-hmm. the Berlin team, he did tell us the Berlin team does the Berlin um, like the Model Y uh, line essentially reports Mm -hmm. up to him. So he's a meeting with them every day. Um, he has a, he, he kind of took out his phone. He didn't show us the dashboard, but he took out his phone. He's like, I've got this dashboard. It shows me, um, you know, every, every single time a model Y rolls off the line in one of those three factories, uh, you know, Austin, Shanghai, or Berlin, it like shows him, um, there's overlapping time from each of the factories. Uh, there's some downtime. So like he, he, he monitors everything, uh, from his phone for all three of those factories.
0: Got it. And is he now a hundred percent focused on the? So, what's his top priority? Like, did he did he say what his top priorities were? Was it Nuevo Leon one? Uh, Shanghai two? Did did he have any sort of information around that?
1: No, he he didn't rank them. He he basically said he was you know kind of leading the construction of Nuevo Leon, um, but still the you know it sounds like he's in charge of sales and service in in the U.S., which he didn't really talk about too much. He just talked a ton about the you know Shanghai, Austin, and Berlin. Um, and the model y there okay i
0: see and he I'm, I'm guessing is that where the 18 to 24 month sort of nugget of information came from that he was talking about he thinks that you know gen 3 from from groundbreak to the first delivery i heard that being thrown around yeah. somewhere
1: yeah so if you remember at yeah. the end of the actual presentation i think the second to last question is either the last or the second to last question like someone asked elon like when when is the first you know next gen vehicle going to be delivering elon just Said, you know, I'm going to choose not to answer that or, or something. We we asked Tom, or we asked Tom the exact same question, and he answered it. He said it will roll off the fact. It will be like the first production version will be 18 to 24 months, so Q3 of next year, uh, up until maybe Q1 of um, of 2025. So working backwards from that, he said the current, um, the the current uh, factory in Nuevo Leon, there they have state permits and there's federal permits. So the state uh, which I, I'm not sure or if it's like, um, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, the state has approved all of the permits that the state needs to approve, but there's some things that the, um, that the federal government needs to approve. So once that approves, once that's approved, they will, they'll start groundbreaking. And after groundbreaking construction starts. So he said, you know, publicly they're saying groundbreaking should happen in three months, but he kind of looked at us and he said, you know, I want to do this faster. I think we can do this mm-hmm. faster. And then he said in, internally, their deadline, what they're communicating to their team is the, um, the construction will take nine months. So once that three months, you know, three months from now, when groundbreaking starts, uh, it will take nine months to build a factory. And I, I don't know exactly if that nine months starts when groundbreaking happens or does like, does construction happen right after groundbreaking or you know potentially there's clearing and other stuff that happens first and then construction starts. Yeah. Um, and then it will take, he said, you know, Shanghai took nine and a half months to build because uh, someone said like, oh, Shanghai took 10 months to build. He's like nine and a half. Get it right. Yeah. And so he said the internal goal is nine months to build Nuevo Leon, but his goal, he thinks they can beat that. And he said the internal goal is to roll off the first Gen 3, like sell the first Gen 3 production vehicle in 18 to 24 months, but he thinks they can beat that. So okay. His deadlines, you know, the his deadlines and um and say Elon's deadlines are quite a bit different because his deadlines are to do something that Tesla's done before. Tesla's built a factory before, Tesla's designed a new vehicle, Tesla's wrapped it up. Whereas like Elon's, you know, AI or autonomy deadlines, so like that's discovering, that's creating a whole new technology, which is not what what Tom's trying to do. So he you you could tell he was very confident in his deadlines and you know it gives me confidence that i like i don't see any reason why tesla wouldn't hit um those milestones whereas with like an autonomy milestone i totally understand not hitting that uh that deadline i see did he give any insight into what the cadence is going
0: to be for say ordering equipment versus that nine month build out is, is i'm guessing all that stuff's going to be done in parallel right they already have the orders placed or, or orders placed for the equipment they probably already have contracts for the raw materials they need to build a Gen three did, did he give any insight into that at all?
1: Yeah, yeah, he he did not. I mean, I it doesn't sound like there's any you know supply chain um, questions. You know, it's like they they know what they need to build this factory. This is um, yeah, I mean, this this factory has been planned um, for a long time. So it sounds like once you know once the factory is complete, then they have to install all the manufacturing equipment. Once it's installed, then they have to start building their pre-production betas. Then they have to build their release candidates. Then they have to crash test them. So, you know, once construction is complete, it makes sense that it might be another six or nine months before they actually start producing um, the next-gen vehicle. Got it.
0: Were there any nuggets around the... So, Berlin... or so let's say Austin. What? So, we know that Nuevo Leon is going to be built for uh, the Nuevo Leon, whatever, the the market. Well, let me, let me ask you this. So, that's 100% uh, true that... Nuevo León will not sell any, any cars to North America. Is that, is that factual? Um, I don't
1: know. So I've, I've, there's basically, I've had two answers to that. You know, one is these will be built for like the, the Latin American, um, market, but if, if they're rolling off the production line there, you know, why not, why not send some to, you know, other regions? It's, it's unknown. So, Mm -hmm. um, I have heard they'll also be sold in North America, but there's been contradictions of that. So he he didn't say, um, specifically this vehicle, you know, if this vehicle costs, say, you know, 25, $28,000, $30,000, there's, there's essentially, you know, unlimited demand. So you could just sell it in Latin America, or you could sell it, you know, in another country. Um, it's, it's doesn't really matter. They'll sell everyone they can make.
0: Yeah. And so, if that's that's the case, then it means that Austin will build Gen 3 at some point, like you, like you like you mentioned. Was there any timeline as far as when they expect that to happen? Will that be like sometime when the factory is built out in Nuevo Leon? Sometime, like was there any timeline around that?
1: Yeah. So he basically said, "There's they're figuring out a whole a lot of new you know manufacturing processes for this vehicle. I think a lot of there'll be a lot of learnings with the Cybertruck because I do believe." You know, this will be a stainless steel um, vehicle, not a painted vehicle. So Mm -hmm. he said they want to perfect it in um, in Mexico, whether whether that takes, you know, a month, six months, two years. He didn't say, but he said, we're going to perfect the manufacturing. And then um, his term is we'll copy and paste that to the other factories.
0: Got it. So in that in that stainless steel comment is the one that really perked my ears when you had that sort of threat that you initially had on Twitter where uh he said uh something about paint is expensive or you know so yeah <laughs> what i mean that sounds like stainless steel to me right like there's no doubt that it could be anything yeah
1: that that's the way we interpret you know is like well you know it, you know is th- is this going to be painted you know paint is expensive <laughs> so um yeah. you know they they're they're bullish on the stainless steel cyber truck they think this is a cheaper way to manufacture vehicles um you know if this vehicle is used for robo taxi you know looks don't really matter at all you know some people like stainless steel personally i think it looks great a lot of people you know don't like it um but if you're you know it's kind of like if you're getting in an uber you don't really care if it's a prius or a honda accord or a ford focus it's like you just want to get to your destination um safely and timely um so if you know i think elon thinks a you know a huge portion of these vehicles will be robo taxi whereas you know tom is maybe less bullish and tom's more about just you know pumping out pumping out these cars mm-hmm. um but yeah it sounds we got the impression that this will this will not be painted it will not be painted vehicles so it should be stainless steel
0: gotcha talk to me more about that that point you just made around tom thinking these are just cars they're going to look to pump out so it sounds like it's basically confirmation that this platform will 100% have a steering wheel and pedals with it, because if it's going to be launching within 18 and 24 to 24 months, unless full self driving is fully solved by then you're going to be building this production that's essentially going to sit idle with vehicles that are not going to operate. So that's basically confirmation of, of those. Is that how you is that how you're interpreting it?
1: Yeah, I mean, they they said this will have a steering wheel that could be because they don't want institutional investors to think, oh, autonomy won't be complete by then. So if Tesla makes these vehicles that don't have steering wheels, then they can't they can't be used or sold or monetized. Uh, but, you know, it's possible internally they they think they're going to solve FSD, you know, this year and, and they won't actually need the steering wheels. But um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I imagine there will be it sounds like there will be two versions of this one, you know, maybe a car hatchback that has a steering wheel and then maybe there'll be like a van version that's more like a robo taxi style vehicle.
0: Did he say anything about the van that they had under the under the sheets when you were talking to him?
1: No, no, he didn't comment on the the actual um, vehicle. But he he basically, well, he, he we know there's going to be two, and we know one of them is going to be compact, one of them is going to be small. So that that's kind of all the details um, that mm-hmm. we know.
0: Yeah, I think the the biggest takeaway I ha- one of the biggest takeaways I had so many takeaways from that freaking present. I mean, how could you not? It was like a million hours long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, the platform. It, what's interesting about the platform is that it's not so much what we traditionally think in the auto industry. I guess this is just me sort of thinking out loud. A platform is okay, you have this chassis and you have this drivetrain and you can put an SUV or a sedan on it. Or, like, you know, it's it's sort of similar to what Ford's doing with the Bronco. It's kind of you can have all these different variations of the Bronco on this platform. It's more about how you put a car together. It's about that sort of uh Non, that parallel process where you can build out each portion of the car separately and then marry them all together into this one piece that you then just roll off the line which sounds like it almost eliminates general assembly to me like conceptually speaking is that how they were talking about it was there any like did tom really go into general assembly at all Uh, any any sort of nuggets there
1: yeah, so we, you know, before the presentation started, we had a factory tour. So we, we saw how, you know, construction of the Model Y is done. And so we we're asking him questions about that. we were asking him about Lars' comment about, you know, the unboxing of the vehicle. And if this has this vehicle has an exoskeleton, you know, can it still do the, the unboxing style? So um, Tom didn't get too specific. You know, we did ask him, is this going to be like a single casting versus a front and rear casting? Um, but he essentially said, you know, the, um, you know, you know, he didn't, he didn't confirm that. Um, uh, but this will be the simplest vehicle they have ever assembled. So I'm sure there'll still be some general assembly, but if there's no paint, you know, you're not putting the vehicle together, taking the doors and hood off, putting all the stuff in the middle, putting it back. Um, it sounds like, you know, the seats will be mounted to the battery, like, like the front seats, of the model Y today, and then, you know, come up, come up through the floor. I imagine it will have a glass roof, so they can, you know, put stuff in through the top and then, you know, seal it after. Um, but yeah, we didn't, we didn't hear, you know, I, 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 I don't really. No matter what, you're still going to have some kind of general assembly, you know, at the end. Sure. Um, But he didn't, he didn't talk about like eliminating or mostly eliminating that stage.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, because the single piece casting, the, the single piece casting discussion I've heard, it makes sense as long as you don't have to do any assembly in the front or the back of the car especially in this new platform like i'm thinking about it conceptually because um you know if you're going to have these parallel processes you you almost want multiple castings because then you can work on the front you can work right. on the back you can work on the sides or whatever if you only had one piece casting that you would run into the same problem of all the work has to go to this one place and you have to push it down the line unless unless the work you do is so minimal like say the just the wiring or whatever needs to be done the trim the harnesses and all the stuff they have to put in those parts of the car is so minimal and it's part of that single piece casting in a way that it just kind of like makes the parallel process redundant which uh sounds like the single piece casting is going to be completely um out of the question until they make some sort of another step change in how a car is built um and so I'm, I'm curious if we're going to be stuck with this sort of platform for for a while for a long time
1: yeah and maybe maybe someone in the comments can help us but i believe either elon or franz one of them said uh, a single piece casting is just not necessary um you know for mm-hmm. like a structural rig- rigidity standpoint um or an assembly standpoint so i don't you know at s- at some point, someone's going to make a single piece cast vehicle, uh, whether that Tesla will be first or if they even want to be, you know, we didn't get confirmation on that. Yeah. Did Tom
0: say anything as far as how many units they expect this, uh, the Gen 3 platform to have at full ramp, like once they have all the factories built out? Was there any information around that? Um,
1: he... He did not say that specifically, but I think that was in the presentation, right? Like 10 million, Something right? Million, yeah, yeah. So yeah. um, uh, long term, yeah, but yeah, no, he didn't. He didn't say anything uh, specifically about um, this factory. Gotcha. Um, any other
0: uh, any hints around new locations outside of uh, Nuevo Leon? Did you hear anything around that?
1: Yeah. So we, you know, we we're kind of trying to feel out, um, you know, various executives, uh, uh, you know, on that. Um, you know, Drew did did come out and say that, you know, Indonesia was not being considered. someone, someone asked Drew about Indonesia and he said that wasn't being considered and he didn't know where that, that about Indonesia. And he said that wasn't being considered and he didn't know where that, that rumor started. So uh, we didn't get any, any hints. It wasn't um, being considered. Sorry. I just want to make sure. Yeah. It was not not being considered. So, um, you know, maybe, you know, my my thoughts would be, you know, either, um, you know, Canada, maybe the, the Midwest or East coast, UK, um, potentially another one in the EU. I know they they just seem pretty frustrated with Berlin. So I don't know if they even want another EU plant. Maybe they'll go to UK to kind of teach the EU they need to be a little bit more flexible. <laughs> Brexit worked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, we also, you know, there's also been rumors that maybe um, Tesla will find a new location in China, like like Beijing, because, you know, they do have um, like a big office in Beijing. That's actually where Tom started. But when we talked to Tom about that, like we we kind of asked him, like, if you, we build another factory in China. Will, will it will be Beijing or another city? And he told us that Tesla has purchased an option to for the rights to purchase an additional swath of land very near Giga Shanghai, so they could very easily construct, you know, mass not not a not expand but a new, you know, like Giga Shanghai two. Um, they do have that option. He said they love being in Shanghai. You know, they're very close to the port of Shanghai, which is the largest uh, or the busiest port. In the world, they can they can ship anywhere. We asked about the availability of you know the roll on roll off vehicles and our um, ships uh, because you know there was rumors or there's times you know during the pandemic where there's you know limited availability and he um, saw no no distribution um, bottlenecks from you know continuing to ramp up in Shanghai. They can um, they can get more fleets of ships or purchase their own fleet uh, if they need to um gotcha. so you know it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they just said hey we're going to build giga shanghai 2 across the street and we're going to execute this option that that we currently own gotcha yeah one
0: of the uh questions that was interesting at the at the q a section to tom uh, that tom answered was around the sort of relationships between the u.s and china and sort of how there might be some complexities there and then what tom's tom's answer was very candid it was like is the kind of, yeah, it's just China's going to China and we're going to sort of manage the relationship, which was like, wow, okay, cool. It, it was just interesting hearing that from a Chinese national, right? Because you have this sort of conceptualization of the kind of answer you're going to get, but it was like very direct. Was there any additional info that he gave around that relationship while you were speaking to him?
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he said China needs Tesla, you know, it needs to show the West that, that, Um, Western companies can invest in the country and they'll be treated well and fairly, and there won't be, um, you know, unfair practices given to the Chinese manufacturers. He also said there's a lot of training um, that goes into the, you know, people work at the factory for a couple of years and they get burnt out and they leave, they, they leave with expertise that they can bring Mm -hmm. to other manufacturers. He also said in Shanghai has created this massive um, supplier network. So there's all these, You know, tier two and tier three suppliers who are making parts for Tesla, but they're also now making parts for other um, EV manufacturers. You know, China wants to be, uh, you know, completely transitioned to EVs uh, as soon as possible, and they want to be the 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 global manufacturer of EVs. So, having Tesla there doesn't hurt the Chinese manufacturers. It forces the Chinese manufacturers to be better um and it gets them better suppliers and it gets you know there's better um you know scaling costs of, of various parts so it's actually good for China to have Tesla there um mm-hmm. and he said they have a very open relationship uh with the Chinese government you know Grace the I think she reports to or she used to report to Tom in China I'm not sure who she reports to now she still reports to him but she has incredible relationships with the Chinese government and apparently she manages you know a lot of those conversations he specifically spoke about the um, the negotiations regarding autonomy in China. You know, Ch- China has limitations on recording, um, and these limitations are on all manufacturers. So all the all the EV manufacturers and non EV manufacturers, I guess, have limitations on um, you know how they can use cameras in their vehicles. So they're negotiating or working with the Chinese government to try and relax those regulations so that you know FSD will be available in China at some point in the future. Gotcha. Okay, that's very helpful to know. Uh,
0: what are some other things that Tom mentioned that's not well known um, with your discussion? Like something that you wanted to highlight,
1: or do we do we hit it? What's coming? To yeah. Um, well, one, one thing that we found out from Tom, which is kind of surprising, is uh, or, or not shocking, but it takes half as long. Or they they're they're rolling off Model wise twice as fast in Shanghai as they are in Austin, and even Berlin is significantly faster than Austin. So for essentially for every two Model wise they build in Austin. Or in, in Shanghai, they build one in Austin. So um, he was telling us there's Crazy. a huge, huge, huge room for improvement in Austin. So it it sounds like it's not going to be that tricky to double the production of Model Y's. um in Austin. You know, we we often hear about you know Fremont kind of maxing out on their capabilities, but it sounds like Austin has a lot of a lot of runway, a lot of uh, room to grow. So that was that was really fun to hear. Got it. So it's kind of like more. So they, they the lines have to can go
0: twice as fast. And then uh, additional lines that go twice as fast uh, will will be the future of Austin. So we should see a doubling of. Per, so I think they're what three thousand per week now ish in Austin, I believe, somewhere around that number. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah I don't remember okay. specifically, <laughs> but okay. yeah. So they can they can double with the current line. They can double the production, and then they can add additional lines. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. What else? What else? Uh, did you talk to any institutionals while you were there? Like, did you pick their brains about how they were thinking about the company or was it just mostly with executives you were speaking with? Um, n-
1: not really. There really wasn't too much overlap. You know, in my, um, you know, I kind of avoided the crowds. You know, I, I've, I've attended a ton of events and I kind of come up with a strategy anytime I go to an event. So there was a lot of crowds, like when the food came out, people were lining up to get food. And, you know, when they started the factory tours, people were lining up to get a factory tour. And they were doing plaid rides and all these people were lining up to get a plaid ride when you can go to, you know, any Tesla store and <laughs> take a plaid out for an hour. Um, so I, I kind of avoided those crowds. So I was basically with uh, retail investors. So my my six person tour was myself, Dave Lee, Gally, um, three other investors. Um, and then, you know, during the actual session, I was I was seated between two you know employees on the battery team and. Um, so I really, and then I, I talked to, you know, Sandy Monroe for a bunch, um, but yeah, I really didn't talk to um, any of the inst- institutional investors other than kind of saying, like I said, hi to Pierre and a couple of people, but that was about it. Gotcha. So, so most institutionals were out getting rides. Um, not necessarily getting rides, but the, like, it was, yeah. it was funny, you know, I arrived when I went to the event, you know, first I had like a really big breakfast before I went, cause I knew I'd be there all day and I don't want to like eating when I was Smart. there um and then i you know i got there early so you know i was one of the first people through the door um you know we got to check out the semi and ask a bunch of questions about that we saw the the berlin model wise the 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 deep crimson and the um the quicksilver ones which were they look gorgeous <laughs> oh they're they look so much better in person you know than in than yeah. uh than on you know, photographs or video. Come on, Elon, get um, those
0: here, man. Come on.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's another thing Tom said. Like, that's not happening. So we we asked yeah. about that. He said, you know, they're not the, the the Austin paint shop, you know, just isn't equipped to paint those. I think they need like 14 coats of paint. Um, they need to be cured. They need multiple ovens. The, the paint shop in Austin just has two curing ovens. Um, so they, it just doesn't have the capability um, to paint those, um, unfortunately. So, yeah, they're definitely not coming. <laughs> <laughs> so what's
0: very interesting about that is that there is very clear there if if they were really investing in paint and like making cars look good I feel like they would have moved the latest iteration of that technology to Austin but the fact that they didn't is a signal to me that says that starting with this Cybertruck every new car from Tesla probably ain't going to be painted because otherwise why else wouldn't you invest in that painting process? You know, is that a wrong? What do you think about that? Statement? Yeah,
1: I mean that that's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that. You know, if you think about um, Berlin, Berlin was designed before Austin. So when Berlin was designed, they made the decision to have this, you know, probably the world's greatest paint shop. Mm-hmm. Then they made their design decisions on Austin, and there was a decision made not to have as great of a paint shop. So yeah that that could make that can make a lot of sense. Or maybe it's cost. Maybe it's environmental restrictions like we know in california there's more paint restrictions i don't know if there is in texas but um yeah i have no idea did they did they have any like sort of i'm curious is there any metrics around
0: what percentage of the total cost of manufacturing is related to paint do we do we know that number
1: there's a i've seen some numbers i I don't remember exactly what what the cost per vehicle but i think it's somewhere in like the low 2000s the mid 3000s or so So significant cost to paint a car so yeah it's pretty Pretty expensive. So it's like it would be like 10% know. of the compact car. Yeah. Yeah. Cars. Versus like a Model X, maybe it's only, you know, two or 3%. Right. Wow. Okay. So yeah, I'm sold.
0: No more paint from this point <laughs> forward. <following. laughs> well, the, the other comment too. So what, what's interesting about this discussion is that the retail investors and maybe a few of the, institu- the institutionals were taking that like sort of this like post uh, investor day live stream time to actually talk to the folks that had information about the next, uh, say five to 10 years. And of course they were given this presentation and they were absorbing it, but then it sounds like a a significant percentage of the people that were there were, uh, sort of absorbing the pump and circumstance of the event, getting the rides, getting exposed to the technology experience in the plaid for the first time. And I'm wondering, I'm I'm wondering if this is yet another reinforcement that says that the Tesla story is still very young. Is still very new. And most of the people that are invested or want to invest in Tesla still don't truly understand the, the the depth and the deep nature of the story. And they're just getting exposed to the surface level greatness of the company with the plaid and the awesome looking paint and the cyber truck looking crazy. But it's they're not really in the weeds of the supply chain domination and the battery technology. And the fact that they can, you know, turn on a uh, a vertical and power walls like they did over the weekend, where all of a sudden people can start buying power walls again without the solar roof that's going to, you know, so is that the sense you got as well where you were there? Like, that's the sense I'm hearing from you speaking, but I'm curious if that's like, how, how, how do you gauge that statement that I just made?
1: Yeah so to, to respond to the first part about the institutional investors you know one one thing that happened is the the event started late which of course like every retail investor knew <laughs> this event's going to start 30 minutes late then it went on you know i think i think the q and a was by the time the q and a was supposed to start we still we still hadn't even finished um like the last section of the presentation <laughs> and so so it started late it went long i imagine quite a few of the institutional investors like they had to you know, do their write-ups and get it ready to publish out to their clients in the morning. Um, you know, there are shuttles back to the airport from the factory. The, the factory is very close to the airport. When the session, when the event was over, a lot of the institutional investors went right out to the the shuttle line to hop in the shuttle to, to get back to the airport or whether that's their hotel, or maybe they had a, you know, late night flight. They had enough. Um, so yeah, a lot, of, I mean, it was a long day, so I, I can sure. understand them. So a lot of them, Left and they didn't get that one-on-one time. Like when I was talking with Franz um, in the meet and greet, you know, he he gave me a lot of information that was not given on stage. Um, same thing happened with all the other executives we spoke with. Like they were all excited. Um, if you looked around the room, the the room, you know, was close to empty compared to at the start of the day because it was mostly the retail investors. And the thing about the retail investors, they're all you know it's like being on front of you know your favorite rock star or your sporting hero like every all the retail investors um were just huge fans of the executives i think we're such nerds like every, <laughs> yeah and I, I think almost all of them are like a 100% invested <laughs> in tesla so like we're cheering them on so it's like it was like we were thanking them like thank you for what you're doing thank you for giving you know all of your time to tesla so i think they might have just been a little bit more open to us than with the institutional investors who might be a little bit more negative. You know, we're certainly critical of the company and critical of dis, uh, decisions, but we're not negative about the company. Um, mm. So I think that could be the case as well. That's, that's barely a put. What, what was the overall mood of the
0: executive team? Like, could you gauge how, how they were feeling? Like, what was their confidence like?
1: Yeah. I mean, people were pumped. They were excited. You know, if, uh, sometimes we listen to investor calls and people kind of sound a little worn out, you know, working at Tesla is not, not easy as, as you know, you know, people get worked to the bone. Um, yeah. but the, the level of excitement, especially the, the, the cyber folks, you know, the, 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 people who are working on that, like they were, they were so excited to show us this vehicle. And, you know, sometimes I'd ask the same question, like a couple of times to really get the answer. And, um, you, you know, they, you know, I asked, um, you know, a couple of people like the same questions. Um, several times just to make sure what they're telling me was was accurate they were excited about it um but they were they're so confident that the cybertruck will be the, like the best vehicle ever built and just blow away all of the competition that they, they can't wait to show it to us um it's so funny for me like reading the the report earlier uh earlier this week that you know the cybertruck's going to be a niche vehicle and it's like yeah. every single car yeah. tesla release is the number one selling car in its category but yeah. the Cybertruck is just not going to be the number one selling truck. And I'm sure, you know, it's not going to be for the first two or three years. But I imagine by 2026, definitely by 2027, the Cybertruck will outsell, um, you know, the F-150 or any other, any other truck on the market. I have no, no doubt about that.
0: Well, and this is coming from somebody who's owned six, six different <laughs> F-150s, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: and I, right? I love F-150s. You know, they're great, great trucks.
0: <laughs> so, so what what gives you that conviction? Why do you feel so sure?
1: Well, so I mean, if we want to talk about this, the the Cybertruck a little bit, it's it's going to have more utility than than an F one fifty. It's going to um, haul like haul is how much stuff you can put on top of the truck. Tow is how much stuff you can pull behind it. It's going to haul more than any F one fifty. So I think they're they're saying it's going to you're going to be able to haul like three and a half thousand pounds in the bed. So you, you can't do that. In an F one fifty, you would need like an F three fifty or something like a really a seriously big vehicle to haul that amount. Um, its towing capacity is going to be massive as well. I think it's going to be like you know fourteen thousand pounds, which um, y- you know you're talking you could tow a a 30, 32 foot boat um, with fuel, you know, with the with this truck, which no one no one really tows a boat bigger than that anyway. Um, and again, this is this truck is going to be a little shorter. Then your average F one fifty, your average F one fifty is a four door super crew with a five foot bed. Cybertruck will be about about two and a half inches shorter than that, and it's going to have it's going to be better in every you know every category except for probably range and and refueling time. It will it will be safer. It will be more comfortable. It will be faster. Uh, it will tow more. It will haul more. It will have autonomy. It will have you know the the world class. Um, user experience in the in the interface uh you know equipment for equipment it's going to be less expensive you're not going to have to deal with you know dealer markups or you know a terrible sales experience so it, it just it, it it sounds like it's going to be very hard for anybody else to to compete gotcha and then there's also
0: an, an update so so for those that um follow matthew or don't follow matthew so his handle right there on the on the Thing. I forget what that's called, the label on the bottom left. You can check them out on Twitter. But I'm also going to have Producer Wife uh, pull up a tweet. Uh, so you have this whole whole thread that you've created on Twitter. Make sure you go check it out. Everybody in the comments and everybody viewing about a bunch of information about the Cybertruck. We have the dimensions. We have the uh, the just a bunch of different information around the car. But there's also one piece of information you shared around the trunk initially where it was just going to be like a Model X or Model Y style or you know Tesla style trunk excuse me that just opens the top up but based on a recent update uh from uh, from a source you have is that it actually will open uh like a f-150 lightning not not like a tesla so if you scroll down a little bit producer wife you can see kind of what we're talking about um there is a yeah so it will open something like that instead of just the front uh the top of it opening is that correct
1: that that, that's correct so yeah so i had a a friend reach out to me who has friends at tesla and said hey by the way they looked at your thread and they said this is the one thing you got wrong um which is kind of cool because they didn't correct anything else you know i'm sure i'm sure i probably got something else wrong or something else will change but this was they said like this is something you got wrong um and they told me to open like this so i posted this and then i actually had two other friends of mine who were at the you know people who i'd met kind of become friends with over the past couple weeks um who were at the event who spoke with a Tesla executive who, who was you know on stage that night, who confirmed that the front does open like this. So, um, sure. yeah. And uh, if you watch my video, are you watch, are you read my thread? You may have noticed that when I said that the the frunk opens like the Model X, I said this is like the only thing that I think the the Ford Lightning did better, and this was mm-hmm. kind of my only disappointment, um, or not only disappointment, but like my primary disappointment. Um, so it's cool to be. Cool to be corrected with some like really, really good news <laughs> about it. Yeah,
0: that, that's I, I was surprised when you initially said it, it wouldn't open like this, because when I was looking at the at the front of the car, there was clear lines. And again, it's not a, it's not a production production car. It's like a beta production car, so it could change. But it looked like it had that functionality. So the fact that we got confirmation of that, that's that's actually really good news. So I'm very excited for that. Did you get any? um I'm also going to keep asking about other executives too, because just on the Cybertruck thing, did you get any clues or information around when this production would start for this sucker?
1: Yeah, so I asked like three different execs um, that question, and they all they all had the same answer, which uh, which which is another thing we can talk about. But like everyone has the is following Elon's vision to the T. Like everyone is 100 percent on board with the the vision and the direction. But um, they all said to me like. You know, what Elon said publicly is in that we're going to you know, have our first deliveries in, in Q3 and then, um, you know, small, small volume of deliveries this year. You know, I imagine it'll be thousand, couple thousand trucks this year. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and then volume production will start next year. And so they were they were all in line with that thinking. You know, I asked um, I, I asked Franz directly, I was like, how close is this pre-production beta? to the final version. Like what, what's still, what do you still need to figure out? And he said, he said, this is it. Like if we started production today, this would be the truck. He said, I'm, we, we love everything about the current version. Uh, you know, then uh, I got a lot of comments in my thread and on YouTube, like, Oh, this is a concept car. Like pre-production beta does not mean concept. Um, it means they're, they're testing the, the manufacturing plans to see if this is what they are what they can actually produce at scale. So there's the pre-production version, then there's going to be the release candidates which we'll we'll start seeing around start seeing driving around at some point. Um and then uh and then we'll see the the actual production units come after that. Got it.
0: Yeah, uh, typically I'm trying to think back to say when Model Y the uh the mule starting hitting the road like the, you know, the pre-production sort of uh the production beta ones. It was about I want to say like sp- Like about six months from the time we started seeing those to when production started. So this will kind of line up because we've started seeing this. So this is the pre-production beta, right? That's where the sign was. This is you walking around, giving us a tour of the pre-production cyber truck. Uh, you can see like the bed looks pretty finished to me. That that looks like a, you know, like a production ready truck. You also can see the interior. So they open the doors, you can see the internals of the car. There's that screen in the back. So obviously that looks like they wouldn't have put a screen there unless. That felt that we're ready to go. They have the steering wheel. It is a five-seat configuration. They've next six seat, right? Because they had to make it a little bit smaller.
1: That's correct, right? I, I believe correct. Yeah, that. a little narrower. And there's not going to be a six-seat option at launch. That was the biggest complaint I heard from people responding to my thread saying, Oh, they yeah. they really wanted the six-seat. But yeah, I got confirmation that's not gonna be six seat. So the only thing that didn't look finished in the car is right under this screen you can see they had some cabling hanging down and they had like this piece of black cloth covering it. Um, but as you said, like the truck bed, the truck bed looks completely finished and saw like a very much a finished product. Um, I pointed out in my thread, that there's like um, weather stripping where the the tailgate um, uh, connects to the, the bed sides. And it, so it looks like it's sealed. It looks like it's a waterproof, you know, sealed section, like, like the trunk of a car versus a regular bed of a truck. You know is you can water drains right through it. So this will be gotcha. quite a bit different. Cool. One thing I was surprised about is we only saw two cyber trucks. So at previous events, I think I think there was one event where there's two or three cyber trucks. Um we just saw two. So there's this one that we saw up close and then there was another one outside. They were doing rides in the other cyber truck, only 50 people were um given rides so when you got there you got a red wristband if you got a Cybertruck ride and i'm mm. i'm not sure if any retail investors actually got a ride in a Cybertruck because the the people i saw with the red wristbands were um institutional investors
0: gotcha okay yeah thank you for that update yeah if you guys want more information on the Cybertruck make sure you go check out Herbert's channel where he spoke to Matthew and as well as uh Matthew on Twitter at @matthewdr uh look at how sick that looks
1: God, I want one so bad. I can't wait yeah. for mine. <laughs> kind of a, so a quick Photoshop job. So that's yeah. Um, it's got the winch. A friend of mine made that Photoshop, so you can see the uh, steel bumper, oh. the black steel bumper with the off-road yeah. light and the winch. Uh, that's an example of what I think Tesla is going to offer from their accessories, their secret accessories team.
0: That's a, the the vertically integrated 48 volt sort of like you know uh, integrated team yeah can't wait i can't wait ah what who uh who else did you speak with at this event uh outside of tom and
1: uh and franz like did you speak to all the executives um not really like we i kind of all the main executives like had groups around them so i listened in uh a shock had like a really big group people asking like autonomy uh questions um spoke with lars um briefly just kind of said like hi and congratulations he didn't really have a group around him he was talking with some employees. Um, uh, Stop <laughs> Drew, you know, Drew had a big, a big crew around him. Um, so listened in there a little bit, uh, you know, Zach had only institutional investors. I don't, I don't think I really remember seeing retail investors hanging, hanging out with Zach. Um, and then, you know, the, this the semi team and the cyber truck team, um, which those are the people that are actually heads down working on the vehicle, spent it, spent a ton of time, uh, with them as well. Gotcha. Did you, did they walk the Cybertruck lines
0: at all? Like, did you get any exposure to that stuff?
1: No. So when we went on the tour, um, you know, the tour was pretty cool. We got in these Model Xs. They they drove us uh, to one of the entrance of the factory. We got to see basically how a Model Y was built start to finish. We didn't see anything else. Um, you know, Sandy Monroe said he, he was trying to see the press that they're using for the Cybertruck. And they, they, they wouldn't like none of us got to see it, but he kind of, they said they wouldn't, you know, he kind of looked looked over at it or got a little closer than we did, um, but yeah, we saw it start to finish. We saw the stamping uh, of of the vehicles, um, the um, like the or the stamping of the panels. Um, we saw the castings. Uh, we saw the the battery. You know, the, the, the battery lines essentially, the paint shop, um, general assembly. Um, basically, yeah, basically every every part of the Model Y construction. We saw from start to finish. We got to ask a ton of questions. One thing that was cool, you know, I mentioned with the executives, like they're all completely on the same page. That's not just the executives; that goes down to every employee I, I talked to in the factory. They they all are hundred percent bought into the vision of Tesla, and there was no doubt. Like when you asked them a question, they either answered it or they said they couldn't. But there was no doubt. There was no like, oh, I'm not sure, or you've got to ask this person. Like everyone was a hundred percent aligned with what their role was and how the role impacted the vision of the company.
0: Yeah, that's one thing when I when I worked there that was I just an unbelievable job at how good Tesla would sort of get everybody on board on the same page and I think they they do that because they were so uh willing and open and and trusting of its workforce to just bring him under the umbrella and be like hey this is what we're working on i need your help kind of thing and people are like that sounds amazing let's go <laughs> and i think i think that's how they achieve that and that's so great to see that even sort of this this uh you know tesla ipo 2011 2010 around that time right yeah. um and uh 13 years later you just see a continuation of this culture and talent pool that they've been able to Ah, uh, build over time, and now they're focusing the energy into the next generation platform, this Gen three thing. That's going to completely, in my estimation, it's going to completely destroy the auto market. Like I just don't even know what's going to happen. I, I wanna, actually want to pick your brain about this a little bit before we go into Q and A. Um, and it's so it's so reassuring to hear that from from you and others that have visited Investor Day. It was easy for me to see it when I was there, about you know through up to through twenty twenty one. But now that I'm out of the company for a little while, I'm relying just like anybody else on people that can go in. You know, I have friends that work there and I pick their brains, but, you know, I don't want to violate their their sort of NDAs of privacy, you know, because I'm like, don't yeah. even tell me. Like, I don't you want to tell me stuff. <laughs> I don't care. Don't tell me. <laughs>
1: it's your yeah, information. Well, so, yeah. It, it was interesting. So when I was sitting down during the presentation, one of the gentlemen, both, both people are sitting beside were um, on the battery team. One of them was the guy we talked to during the actual tour. So that was kind of fun. And then the other one was one of the leaders of that team um i'm not going to name drop him but he's he's been there since 2005 and and i was asking him i was like you've been here you've been with tesla 18 years um this was shortly after elon had mentioned one once optimus the Optimus bots are at scale like we can all just kind of (laughs) chill and so i asked i was like you know you've been here 18 years obviously you can just go to a beach and just chill for the rest of your life like why do you still come um come to work every day and and he just talked about the impact. He's like, I I come in every every quarter, every month, every week. He feels like he's furthering the mission. Um, he's he's furthering the transition to sustainable energy. Um, and he's just really passionate. Like he he feels like he's doing good for humanity. Yeah. And and I, I got that feeling from a lot of people. My um a similar thing is with my wife. My wife used to make medical devices. Uh now she works for a big tech company. And and she's like, well, with my old job, it's like I I felt like I was really helping like individual people. And you know, she loves her job now, but it was just like a different feeling. But it's almost like an altruistic feeling that these people have, um, which was incredible to see. Awesome. Yeah, that's
0: it's great, great to hear. I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's that's so good to hear. Let's uh, let's circle back to Tom real quick. Um Tom is CEO. Just yeah. <laughs> tell me what what what's your what where's your head at?
1: yeah so so i i said that you know um I, a lot of people are pushing back on me on twitter like oh why not why not drew or why not zach like i wasn't saying anyone else is not qualified for ceo i wasn't you know discounting right. anyone else it was just about tom um you know i've, I've been a been a ceo myself obviously for a much um smaller company and i've worked with you know co- i worked for a couple of fantastic ceos and there, there's a couple of qualities that you really want in a ceo that i think tom exemplifies the number one is you you have to drive the vision and you have to be very clear in the vision so so elon said the vision is to transition the world to sustainable energy but how do you measure that like you measure that by selling more evs by selling more batteries by selling more solar you don't really do it by autonomy you know autonomy helps obviously if you you can use autonomy so you don't need to manufacture as many vehicles um but you do it by maximizing the number of vehicles of EVs you put on the road because every EV you put on the road, you can remove one ICE vehicle. So, out of all the executives at Tesla, who's most responsible for maximizing the amount of EV production? Right. That that's Tom. Um, so, so that's one of them. I also look at you know Elon is, is essentially going to be the person who chooses the next CEO. It's not like you know if you're the CEO of you know Stellantis you you own a very small amount of that business right the board is going to choose the CEO and you'll have a big say but Elon will essentially you know name his successor so who's the most like Elon you know Tom he lived in the factory in in Shanghai during the the pandemic he lives in a $300 a month apartment 10 minutes from the office he rents his furniture like he doesn't own furniture because his his home is in Beijing so that's where his house is so in Shanghai he rents his furniture does he have a family um, uh, I don't, I haven't heard of him. Ha- so I've heard that he has like his, his, social life is Tesla. Like he, he doesn't have like okay. a personal life beyond Tesla. So I, I don't know if he has a family or not. Um, it was funny, you know, I mentioned the institutional investors were wearing suits. The retail investors were wearing, wearing jeans and t-shirts. Most of the Tesla executives were wearing like jeans and either a t-shirt or a button up shirt. Tom mm. was wearing sweatpants. Like Tom was wearing a, <laughs> suit. like, like if someone had said, Hey Tom, we need someone to run boss. to the to the stamping area of the factory, he'd, he'd be ready to go. So he was wearing like athletic shoes and, you know, track suit pants and a track suit top. Like he was ready to go. He's all um, in. He's, he's all in. He has hunger. So, you know, a lot of the executives who have been with the company since close to the start, obviously they're so passionate about the business, but they've had, they've had a wild success, like absolutely wild success. Obviously Tom has as well, but Tom's been with the company for nine years long enough that he is he's part of the tesla dna but he still has that hunger um and the his he operates at a sense of sense of urgency that i haven't got from anyone else other than elon you know elon has this huge sense of urgency it's like how many years can we shave off the transition to sustainable energy like the earth we have to transition to sustainable energy so you measure tesla's success by how many years they accelerate that path Tom's sense of urgency is is beyond anyone else I talk to um, at the business. His communication skills are incredible. Um, his understanding of, you know, he's not, a, he's not from, coming from an engineering background. He's coming from a construction background. You know, <clears throat> Elon has said, you know, he doesn't want to be the CEO. He says, I'm the CEO because I have to be the CEO. Like, I don't want to be the CEO. He said, he, eventually, he'll just be in charge of product and and ai right and uh, i imagine also chairman of the board so i think at some point maybe you know three to five years from now elon will say okay i'm i'm going to be the chairman of the board i'm going to be the chief product officer and i'm going to be in charge of autonomy and tom would could become either the the automotive ceo or the or the you know overall uh, ceo but tom is not going to lead ai tom's not an ai expert tom's not an engineer tom's a construction right. guy and constructing factories and maximizing output is the fastest way to accelerate the transition.
0: Do you think that skill set can be transferable to energy and bot production? Like, how how do you how do you think
1: about that? Um, yeah, I mean, once once something once you figure out how to do something, um, how to build. So, figuring out how to build these bots is going to be very difficult. But once you've perfected it then somebody like Tom can come in and work on scaling it. He's not going to, he's not going to solve real scale world guy. AI. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, he's a, he's an executor.
0: So, Got you know, it. I think okay. Elon
1: will still be setting the vision. You know, imagine if, imagine if Steve Jobs was still alive for the last 10 years and he could have Tim Cook run the company and run the business and run the manufacturing, but he could say, hey, what if we did this? What if, what if we create this new innovative product? What if we acquire, you, you know, spotify or netflix 10 years ago like all of those things you you need a visionary and maybe elon stays on as the visionary but tom's the executor
0: yeah i think i as long as that's the 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 type of um i think organization for me conceptually i think that makes the most sense as long as elon is around and i think this all is all centers around Elon. if if elon's brain is still going I think he's best suited at division stuff for sure. Like just keep dreaming up the bot, keep dreaming up who knows, going to Mars and building homes and these crazy insane ideas that nobody believes you can do. And then you prove them wrong over and over again. Right. So like that's Elon Musk's strength is that is finding things on the edge of possibility that are just happen to be ridiculously profitable and then picking out the people that can make it real. And that's how somebody like a Tom has, has, come on board and others obviously that incredibly deep bench that tesla has um i think the the bigger question is once elon's not around who's the right guy and that's where like do you still think tom is that person like at the top of the company how do you think about that
1: yeah and let let me just before i answer that let me just add to it you know when when elon became the ceo of twitter people worried about like he's not investing enough time in tesla or his other is other companies, and I, I kind of had that feeling, you know, as a shareholder. I think we were all like a little frustrated and upset, you know, when when the Twitter debacle was going on. But what I learned from being on site is his leadership. What Elon's really good at is setting the vision. Obviously, he's great at engineering and AI as well, but he's good at setting the vision and getting everyone to paddle in the same direction. And that's what's needed. And you don't need to be in the office you know, nonstop every day to do that. You just need all the leaders to buy in. So, um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely observed that, you know, from, from Elon. So I could, I could very easily say, um, have Elon start treating Tesla like SpaceX, you know, Elon's not in SpaceX every day. I think he's publicly said he spends something like 20% of his day or 20% of his week working on SpaceX. It, he could, that's you know, if he's spending say 60% of his week working on Tesla over time, he could cut down, cut that down to 20%. And he could work on the bot, he could work on real world AI, he could work on autonomy, but let somebody like you know, Tom Zhu be our Tim Cook and figure out manufacturing and margins and scaling. Gotcha.
0: And it, it's interesting because it, it sounds like most people aren't on that same page because otherwise he would have been mobbed
1: <laughs> at this yeah, no, place, it was, right? It was, it was surprising, you you know, the lines to talk to Drew and Ashok and, uh, you know, way, way longer. Um, yeah, yeah, there was only a couple yeah. of us <laughs> chatting with It's the almost time. like it a like analogy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kind of like a, uh, some weird thing, representation of just how much, uh, what percentage of the population is more focused on short-term versus long-term. So that I guess the people that were sort of mobbed were the, we like 4680s, drew right like hey 4680 how is it doing how's the ramp right uh zach is gonna be everyone
1: kept asking about yield like what's the yield of the you know the 4680 production it's like they've said every 10 minutes they're saying they're not answering that question and (laughs) kept on getting asked (laughs) it's
0: amazing it's just it's just so funny how you can almost if you have a bird's eye view you can see what the what the uh at an average, how the investing community is viewing Tesla and then depending who they're speaking to is where most of their heads are at. And to me, it sounds like there's still a a short-term focus and it's just a stock market. That's how it is. Short-term is a, you know, it's like the whole uh, weighing versus, what's the freaking analogy? I forget what it it, it was. Metaphor. Weighing
1: machine versus a... Uh, like a the other one, or, yeah. measuring machine, something I, like that. Uh, In the yeah. comments, help me, help me, unstupid
0: <laughs> myself. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's just fascinating to think through. I think the so maybe let, let's let's wrap up here before the Q and A because I know I know the community probably wants to ask a lot of questions and I want to make sure we give them time to do that. What um sort of what what's something what was like one or two things that you really want to hit that we haven't talked about uh, so far about your time at investor that that you think uh, deserves a little bit more attention.
1: No, I, I mean, I, I think we, we hit on on the main things. The only thing we didn't really talk about was the the Tesla Semi. You know, there wasn't too, too much news about that. Um, mm-hmm. we, did, we did find out that some autonomy features are already working on the vehicle, like traffic where cruise control. Um, they wouldn't confirm if auto steer was working. They did confirm that no mobile cameras or sensors needed to be added to the trailer, so all of the cameras are on the tractor portion of the the semi. So it can pick up any trailer. And it's not like there's thoughts that the driver would have to go, you know, put a camera on the back or the that's size suck. of the trailer. So that yeah, doesn't have to happen. Um, there's only one charge port. Um, the There is storage in the front uh, as well as on the sides um, of the vehicle. Um, so, yeah, that's I think uh, I think we covered pretty much everything.
0: Awesome. Yeah, last time I was going under the radar for sure. I mean, they've already started production, they're getting it out the door. It's going to be small volumes, but um they're they're building these in Nevada, right? Or Fremont. Who's, yeah, who's building no, Nevada. Semi? Nevada. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is exciting. Can't wait. 2023, baby. How how <laughs> how closely do you follow the stock?
1: Um, when when I'm playing, you know, short-term options, I, I follow it nonstop. Uh now I'm pretty much all long term so you know i, I kind of look at it every every day but sometimes i don't look at it and i don't even notice <laughs> you know when yeah. it was in its free fall i was you know looking at it every day and uh, crying so um <laughs> <laughs> tried to slow that that down a little bit but yeah i, I look at it every maybe once a day every couple of days
0: gotcha have, have you been tracking this uh svb thing the silicon valley bank thing
1: um, yeah, a little bit. One of um, one of my friends, his company uh, uses SVB um, for payroll and everything mm-hmm. else. So he was he was super concerned about it. Um, you know, I've been in startups my entire career. So often, when you're in a startup, you want to look like other successful startups. So there's pressure to use something like SVB instead of like Wells Fargo or Bank of America because it makes you more startupy. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of people um, that I'm friends with who have their own companies use it. And yeah, one of them was super concerned about payroll. It's like, he has, you know, 200 employees and if, and like all their money, uh, was in SVB. And in addition to that, you know, I work in events. So there, this is an event tech company and they, all their transactions are go through SVB. So if you bought a ticket to a conference and then that money went to SVB and now you have to pay money to the event owner, the client. Now you're saying, oh, client, your money is tied up. Well, the the event owner, they need that money because they have to pay the venue and they have to pay the speakers and the catering and everything else. So, yeah, it's a it's a nightmare. It sounds like, it sounds like uh, it's pretty much being resolved. So um, thank goodness it was worrying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what Oof. about you? What was your thoughts on it? <laughs>
0: I just, to me, it just, I don't know what's more shocking that the uh, economy starts to fail when the Fed raises interest rates by like three and a half, four 4% or the 16th largest bank in the United States of America just collapses in 48 hours. Like, I don't know which one's worse, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where my head is at.
1: Yeah. And it could take, you know, I have a lot of friends who are, um, you know, limited partners in in various VCs and they were thinking, you know, this is going to wipe out the next 10 years of gains. Um, and there's going to be no appetite for VC investing and, and yeah, this might wipe out thousands of startups, but it's going to make companies like, you know, Google and Microsoft and Amazon and stuff stronger. Cause all their competition, you know, their upcoming right. competition is just toast, you know? Yeah. It's going to be while. It's going to be wild to watch. I think,
0: I think the, from a macro standpoint, I really do think that this is like, the, and again, it's a sort of abstract in the way I think about it, but, uh, the economy is, Psych- it's psychological in nature. I really believe that. Like you can put, you can be as scientific as you want with, with money and the economy and the stock market, but it's just human beings making decisions. And when something like this happens and it breaks the news and it shakes people's confidence, even if it's regional, it's, I think it's a psychological sign that says, yo, something's up. <laughs> you have <Yeah>. SVP <laughs> failing. You got uh, one of the New York regionals failed. Silver Lake is another thing that failed. And, uh, you know i'm i'm tracking the macroeconomic trends you have record credit card debt record mortgage debt record uh home loans you know you have a, a, a super slowing down auto auto business you know home market the house market has sort of like frozen and it's starting to tick back up but not by much you have all these signals that are saying hey economy not doing super good what's the problem and so like th- like thinking through that uh, sort of environment and then where some things that I've invested in are, are positioned position relative to that. And so when I how I think about Tesla in, re, in respects to that is that the people's ability to afford things has come down dramatically. And when Tesla releases a $25,000 compact, whatever this thing, however much this thing is going to cost, but it's going to be at 50% of the cost to manufacture than say the Model 3, then how is this thing not going to be the most successful car release ever in the history of anything? You know, how is it not going to be? That's how I think. I don't know if you have any thoughts around that, but maybe.
1: Yeah, no, 100% agreed. You know, during Investor Day, there's a question like how is, you know, Elon said, we only need probably at most 10 vehicle models to address the entire market. And there's questions like, well, you know, everyone's not going to want to have the same car. And, it, and it's like, well, everyone has the exact same phone. Um, exactly. Everyone has the same air. You get on a plane, 100% of people are wearing AirPods or Bose headphones, like every single person. Um, you, you know, you just want the best quality, max functionality um, vehicle to meet your needs. You know, obviously you have car enthusiasts who want a unique car, but, you know, car enthusiasts make up a very small Percentage of the car market, and those people can customize their car with a, you know, custom paint or a wrap or wheels or you know, <laughs> however they want. Uh, people want the best performing and best value and most feature rich vehicle uh, and most affordable. Uh, most importantly,
0: yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And then you think about the the additional layer of to buy a car, at least in the United States, you have to go through a dealer network. That is the bane of the existence of the (laughs) auto market. Because I haven't met one person that likes going to a dealership to buy a car. And then with this compact car, you've basically removed this whole thing that a person has to do to go to a dealership and haggle with somebody and feel like they didn't get ripped off. And instead, you're like, lease this model uh, two or Q or whatever you want to call this compact car for 250 bucks a month. We'll include insurance. We'll include charging at 30 bucks per month as long as you're charging at night. And then your insurance is going to be a, uh, half of what it usually is because uh, because of FSD, you activate that, your uh, safety score goes down. So your all-in cost to uh, to drive around a Tesla that you own or lease is like 350 bucks per month or whatever that number is, probably less potentially in some cases, versus going through the hassle of going through a dealership network to buy an affordable car that that's, has nothing. That's basically just a point A to point B machine and instead so you can buy this thing that has all the entertainment of a tesla much better driving dynamics because if it's it's an ev it's like i don't know the story writes itself but who knows i'm an idiot and we're dumb so that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> that's how it ends up okay uh ready for some q a matthew absolutely let's do it all right let's do it so uh if you have uh a question make sure you drop in the comment section below I, I believe uh we already pinned you for that uh, thank you all so much for sticking with us. We're almost at a 1,000 live viewers. Uh, thank you all so much for uh, joining us today. So let's go ahead and bring up the first question. Producer wife, I'll hand it over to you and we'll get started. Ron King, question. Any word on building a three-row large SUV or a commercial van? Did you hear anything about that uh, at a master's
1: There's nothing confirmed. We asked that of Tom. Um, and he, he kind of hinted that, you know, there's more there's more to come. You know, I personally... Think at some point we will see a either a cyber bus or a cyber van or cyber SUV, um, you know, built on the Cybertruck platform. It's it's what happened with the Model X, you know, it was built it basically took the Model S and made it an SUV. It's what happened with the Model Y, you took the Model Three and made it a crossover. Uh, so I I see the exact same thing happening with the Cybertruck. You know, you just you know we know it will likely have. A potential canopy option from the factory, maybe a camping canopy. What if you just put a third row seat in there? It seems like a pretty, pretty easy addition. Great! I can't freaking wait for that. I can't tell you how excited I oh, am. Give me my cyber. Yeah, I can, just to add to that, you know, i I bought you know I bought a very early Model S. Um, later, I bought a very early Model Three. Uh, you know, I had one of not the earliest Model X, but a fairly early one. Um, and I, when I bought the model my my Model Three, like I had, the, I think the twelfth one in they sold in Seattle. Um I had a ton of problems with my very first Model 3. Uh and and when about it. I was like okay next time it come next time Tesla releases a vehicle I'm going to wait a year or two to buy it. So like with the Model Y, you know, waited a, a year or two to, to get the first model our first model Y. And that's that was kind of my thoughts with the Cybertruck, but after seeing a person's like no I can I will <laughs> the the instant I can configure I'm getting that truck and <laughs> yeah. I'm not waiting an extra day, you know. <laughs> yeah
0: we, we don't learn our lesson <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> make us to them uh attractive all right let's do the next one thank you so much ron for your question next question and hannah thank you so much for your question Does Farzad have a cyber truck on reservation yes he does and what accessories would he want to add to a cyber truck camper cyber quad i don't know yet i'm going to see what they offer um I, I just want the damn thing. I don't care. Just give me the Cybertruck and I'll figure out accessories later. Uh Cyberquad sounds pretty freaking cool, you know, because we can take it out uh in the woods I, I and whatnot. I wouldn't I wouldn't
1: uh anticipate a Cyberquad. <laughs>
0: okay. Good to know. What I, what are you got, looking forward to? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so real yeah, so I Kind of get the the feeling that um, you know based on some conversations, the Cyberquad was never really a product. It was like just one dude okay. who who built it, and they made it look like the Cyberquad, <laughs> but it's not an actual product. But um, yeah, for me, I I will definitely put a winch on my car. I like to have a winch. I I I live um, on a huge incline, and um, you know, it's I live in Seattle. It snows here, you know, twice a year, and people are always driving off the road you know, near my house and I've, I've pulled up, pulled, you know, Priuses and Chevy trucks and stuff out of the ditch. So I I like to have a winch. So I'll probably get a winch and some off-road lights. Um, and that's, that's maybe about it. I don't think I'll get, if there's a a camping tent, probably, you know, I have two little kids. We're not really at the camping stage yet. So probably skip that for a while, but (laughs) maybe eventually. I see. I know my wife and I like taking road trips, so we might get accessories
0: that will make that, Uh, experience cooler and more versatile. So we'll probably do that, but I'm I'm curious to see what they have. Give me my (laughs) Cybertruck. I'm so excited. All right, next one. Danzo, question. Do you think Elon might buy a bank to integrate with Twitter and Tesla since many small banks seem to be heading in deep water? And will that lead Elon to sell more stock soon? Wow, loaded question. How are you thinking about this given the the recent developments of uh, SVP and stuff?
1: yeah well it was so we saw his tweet saying you know I wouldn't be opposed to buying svb but then I believe he deleted that tweet someone can correct me but I, I thought when I clicked on it it was deleted later uh you know he did tell us um during the q4 investor call that he would not be selling stock until at least 2025 it was pretty direct I imagine if he did you know there would be shareholder lawsuits so i don't I don't see him selling it um you know svb would have been the ideal like if he's going to buy any bank, you buy SVB, you know, Elon believes you can build the best technology. So he's not going to buy a bank because it has some cool technology. He's going to build the best technology. You know, maybe, maybe if, you know, PayPal was a lot smaller, he might buy PayPal because it's got some kind of cool tech or Stripe. Um, But he's not going to buy a traditional bank. The reason SVB is interesting is the actual client base. So, you know, you value a bank based on its, you know, its deposits, not the quality of its clients. But he just might want that that cl- client type, you know, s- startups that use SVB. they can grow larger. They're innovative. They they embrace innovation. Um, so if not, if he doesn't buy SVB, I imagine he won't buy any unless it's a situation where you buy a bank, then you don't have to go through the regulatory approval of becoming a bank. Uh, but then you could buy like a really tiny bank uh, for that. I see.
0: Great answer. Thank you so much. Next question. Da-ba-da-da. T. Nelly, question if they solve FSD by the end of 2024 could uh, Model 2 be manufactured only as a Tesla own robotaxi for the US and only sold retail abroad uh, how are you thinking about this question
1: Well I think not in the short term you know FSD is like you're all you're you're 99% the way there but you've 99% to go always <laughs> like it's just it's going to be hard I think once it's actually solved there's going to come a point in time, and it's not going to be 2024, but maybe 26 or 27, where it just doesn't make sense to sell cars when you can have robo taxis. You know, if you make five times the the value by having a robo taxi in one year or two years or three years than selling it, you're not going to need to sell any cars. So if you're if you're battery constrained or if there's any kind of strict constraints, you're going to focus on on robo taxis. So I wouldn't be surprised at some point if, you know, there are maybe the Gen 3 platform or the, you know, the the Gen 4, right? The next one is just, is just robo taxis. And, you know, the people who actually own cars, you know, if you, if you live in a rural area, you're always going to most likely want to have a car. Or if you have, you know, kids or lots of equipment or you're in a trade, you're going to want a vehicle. But like my two sisters live in downtown Seattle and um, one of them has a Tesla. One of them has no car because it's like she can, she can just take Uber's. When she needs one, I I see a lot of people who live in really urban places, just not wanting a car at all, because it's going to be trivial to, to use a robo taxi. And uh, what, one kind of tangent I wanted to go on, a lot of people are saying, um, you know, you're going to need less vehicles once there's robo taxis, because the, the vehicles can actually be, be used more. I'm not sure if that's actually the case, you know, I was just down in your, your town in Austin. And there's these scooters, you know, the scooters everywhere, because the there's multiple scooter um, companies, and they always want to have one available to you when you need it. So if there's three companies making robo taxis, and you can order a Tesla robo taxi, it'll be here in two minutes. Or you can order a, you know, a cruise robo taxi, and it'll be here in 30 seconds, you're going to choose the cruise, right? Yeah. So yeah, I there might actually be more robo taxis than needed. Um, so there's just, you know, whenever you order one, there's one within 30 seconds or 45 seconds, uh, in any urban area.
0: Couldn't agree more. And then you also have the other variable too, that the cost of transportation will go down dramatically with Robo Taxi electric. So conceptual, like, like the way I think about it is right now, if I want to go to the airport from where I live, uh, it's like a 50, $60 Uber ride. Uh, if, if, uh, under Taxi it's probably going to be like five bucks. 10 bucks max and so the the affordability of transportation will then open up not just multiple possibilities for a person who will typically take transportation but then you open the 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 door up to people that simply can't afford private transportation so all the people that take public transport trans transit and they spend way too much time on that waiting for a freaking bus and you go on a bus that you have to sit next to people you don't want to sit next to, you know, and then you have to move, live your life around this public transportation system. Uh, now you have access to p- a private transport that will be cheaper than the public transport after after some point. So you think about the dynamic of that. I couldn't agree more. So like those two yeah. things, three things layer on yeah. top of each other, get, I think, guarantee a ton of uh, robo taxis. Um, as far as I still think Tesla will sell them. I, I don't I don't see Tesla as a fleet. Uh, runner, I think they will sell them because I think Elon from from the way he talks about ownership and things like that, I just feel like having Tesla become a monopoly around transportation and labor with the bot uh, doesn't sound like a good place to be because then you're <laughs> yeah. like leaning into this whole you will own nothing and be happy thing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I don't know if that sits well with me. so i will I'm curious to see how that how that will translate uh, yeah. Transform no, um, all right, let's do, uh, let's do a few more. Next question. Uh, Ken Wallace question. Did anyone give any time frame for Optimus to start working at Tesla factories? Uh, any ideas there? Yeah, no, no,
1: no update. And we, it's interesting, you know, they talked about Optimus a little on the stage, but absolutely no one asked questions about it that I heard. Like none, none of us, you know, we, we all know it's going to be a ways away. So it's, we just, you know, ask a question that we're not going to get a any kind of concrete answer to so no no one even asked that i heard gotcha
0: all right well more chances for surprises i like it next one and eric thank you so much he has a symbol next to his name because he's a supporter of the channel by clicking on join right below this video plug thank you question any talk of investor day two in 2024 have you thought have you heard anything
1: no i mean it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if they keep having them you know it, it was very cool for for us retail investors obviously the you know Wall Street didn't respond um, positively um, and I imagine that's the market you know you you could really tell the market was not retail investors you know there's only 50 of us we were at the, the back of the room we didn't get to answer questions um, so I, I I don't think the the audience is us <laughs> gotcha
0: all right next one And Chris, question How many more gigafactories will be needed to get to 20 million vehicles per year goal? And where should they build these? I believe Tesla openly said, uh, like 10 additional from where they were like a year or two ago. Is that what the message was?
1: Yeah, I think uh, we were talking to Tom about that, and he thinks every giga can make like two to two and a half million. Um, so figure you know, eight times two and a half, you'd be at 22. Uh, Obviously, you know, Fremont is never going to. Produce that many, but yeah, I'm sure eight, nine, ten could probably do it. Um, again, talking about Tom's bullishness, he, he, you know, he said they can make 20 million vehicles a year before 2030, which is just insane growth. <laughs> like, like he's he's so bullish on, uh, on manufacturing. He, you know, he he like I said, he came out directly and told us uh, as they're constructing Giga Mexico, they will be constructing a new location it wouldn't shock me if they announced two additional locations while those, while those factories are still under construction, you know, it just seems like they're so have so much free cash, right. It only costs mm-hmm. uh, what, you know, 3 billion or whatever to build a, a new gigafactory. I think, I think it just makes sense to keep on plowing that money into building these factories. That's I don't think wall street understands that at all, at all that
0: Tesla could. Uh, so if each factory can do 2 million cars per year, And each factory fully ramped is what like it's going to cost about three billion dollars to get it up to that stage. That's nine billion dollars for six million for a tripling of a Tesla's current production rate. Nine billion dollars, and then those six billion six million cars per year will generate around triple the net income which they're getting right now. And so, say assume about fourteen billion dollars a year, then. Basically, uh, the the first year at full ramp for these things will more than pay for that investment cost. It, 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 pay, the ROI is basically like two to three years on that nine billion. Yeah, and then they it's oh. it's it's crazy. Like,
1: for, what other yeah. company
0: can do that? You know? Yeah,
1: and they you know they have all this free cash, but it's like they got to spend it on something. So yeah. Why not?
0: <sighs> Come on, Wall Street. Watch this channel more. Watch Matthew more. Come on, let's get you on board. This <laughs> is the next one. Da, 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 da. And Charles, question: Will MegaPacks be built in Giga Berlin? Did you hear anything about that? No, no, we
1: okay. didn't. We didn't really discuss MegaPacks. Gotcha. All right, and let's do uh, one last question. And yeah, I, I do have a feeling part. it will have to yeah. do with the subsidies, right? They're getting big subsidies for building them in the U.S. So um, I know the 4680 plans the for Berlin were put on pause because of the IRA incentives here. So I, I think it will de- depend on what the EU or Germany specifically does, uh, with incentives. Gotcha.
0: I mean, th- th- that was such a, the fact that we're seeing that already happening where there's companies moving to the, uh, to the, to the North America continent because of those decisions, I think just speaks to how, how good that was for America and sort of this, this part of the world. Um, and uh, it should just be good for the local economy. So I, I give props to the folks that have put that bill together. It's it's really working out, I think. Um, all right. Let's do the one last question and uh, we'll uh, wrap it up. And the last question goes to T Nelly question. What are your feelings on Elon potentially further diluting his bandwidth by buying a bank or a chat GPT competitor? How do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you if you asked me six months ago, again, when I was, you know, not not feeling too happy with the stock, I probably would have a different answer. But today, again, based on the um, the way the staff are operating, I, I think Elon Elon has plenty of bandwidth to give. He doesn't need to be in Tesla, um, you know, sixty percent of his time. I think it, it can be like SpaceX. He maybe spends twenty percent of his time with the company in a couple of years. Again, I, I don't I don't think he'll actually buy a bank somebody like chat gbt i think he probably starred another open ai like his original intent you know he donated money or gave money essentially to a nonprofit to create an open artificial intelligence company open ai completely changed their mission so maybe he donates money to you know his own foundation and then his foundation starts something um uh but yeah, I, I don't I don't see that taking up a lot of time. I'm I've I've no worries about Elon's commitment to Tesla uh short term or long term. Awesome. Awesome, man. Yeah,
0: it, it'd be interesting if he op- if he creates another uh competitor to open AI. And he if he's not directly involved with it, I think it will devolve into what open AI has devolved into, which is for profit maximization of uh shareholder value, sort of that sort of thought process because you need, you need somebody to like make sure that doesn't happen because the technology is so freaking powerful. It's such a life-changing, world-changing technology that unless you have some sort of controls around that, it will always evolve into that. So interesting times we live in, interesting times. So Matthew, thank you so much, man, for making the time uh, for me and, and for the community. An hour and a half of uh, amazing information. Um, real quick, where can people follow you on Twitter? Where can people follow you on YouTube? Uh, you want to plug yourself real quick?
1: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I'm Matthew Dr on on everything. So, yeah, send me any questions uh, you have. I'm on Twitter nonstop. Um, probably make another another couple uh, Tesla videos. I have a few things that I haven't shared yet. So, um, yeah, looking forward to having answering any other questions people have. Fantastic,
0: man! Thank you so much, and thank you to the community for stopping in on this Monday morning. The world didn't end. They rescued SVP and we're all here. So thank thank the thank goodness for uh, for it not collapsing right before our eyes. Thank you, mods, as always, in the comment section, keeping the conversation very, very healthy, very clean and just great in the comment section. Thank you to the, to the entire community, uh, and all the community members. Uh, thank you, Matthew, and last but not least, thank you, producer wife, for another amazing job producing uh the show. There you go. Give yourself a round of applause and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you all, everybody. Thanks. We'll see you in the next one. Bye bye.